0: Thank you for tuning in to Beyond the Dais, a podcast about the stories taking place in and around El Paso County, Colorado. I'm your host, Scott Anderson, and my guest today is El Paso County Commissioner for District 5, Cammy Bremer. How are you doing today, Cammy?
1: Very well. Thanks, Scott.
0: Good. Thank you for having me uh, today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, just before we get started, I wanted to quickly add that if listeners are interested in more stories about people doing good in and around El Paso County, or hearing from county leadership about local government priorities and how they operate, you can find additional episodes of this podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, But to get started, I was wondering, uh, Commissioner, if you could start off by giving us a bit of background uh, prior to becoming an elected county commissioner here in El Paso County.
1: Sure. Um, You know, I'm a uh, farmer and teacher's daughter, uh, (laughs) born and raised in Georgia, and um, during college found my way out to Colorado um, fell in love with the landscape the beauty beauty the culture everything about this place and knew that as soon as I graduated from college in Georgia I wanted to look for my first job here and so I have been in Colorado Springs now for a little over 20 years oh, wow. and um, you know I started my career at the Colorado Springs Chamber of Commerce and had the opportunity as their director of governmental Affairs to kind of, uh, take a look at the local governmental setup. Um, I involved myself in local policy issues that were affecting citizens and businesses, and really had at that time as a as a young 22 year old right out of college to sit in every board of county commission meetings, and um, kind of just fell in love with with the local workings of how much the decisions that were made at that time were affecting the lives every day of local citizens. But I moved on from there and spent uh, many years in healthcare and. Um, Advocacy for healthcare, and then kind of came back from the communications world and the marketing world um, and healthcare world. Decided to kind of come back to where I knew I could be most impactful, and ran at that point uh, for county commission again because I saw in my early twenties what an impact the decisions uh, that were made could have, um, and. At that point, I had, had my own young family, right? <laughs> I wanted to really impact where my son is growing up, the mm-hmm. type of community he will live in and have access to and uh, the the parks that can be preserved. And, um, you know, it's just, uh, it's been, it's been a wonderful experience to know that the decisions that I'm making are, um, are impacting not just my family, but families uh, just like mine throughout the region. And hopefully if I'm making those decisions correctly <laughs> in a long-term strategic manner, um, that they're impacting for generations to come.
0: Yeah, and that's really fascinating. I like the way you talk about the difference between local politics. And I, I think when people think about politics, when they think about making changes at a federal level, it can seem overwhelming. It can seem like sometimes it just never happens. It takes years and decades. And was, was that really the main appeal to you then that, you know, you can work in local and you can make a difference in your community and then that sort of outward expansion of, of that success?
1: Absolutely. You know, so many of the issues we deal with are, are not partisan, mm-hmm. you know, whether you're um, what is what is done with your land or how you can um be in charge of, of your own business though. That's not a partisan issue. And so much at the, at the state and federal level ends up getting kind of bogged down in, um, in ideals, um, of, of how you think in principle things should be done. But at the local level, it's actually about making prudent decisions that are based on, on actually the, the needs of your local community. It's a fun place to be. And, um, (laughs) You know, we can actually sit down and, and have a conversation with someone who um, who maybe doesn't think exactly the same, but at the end of the day, we probably both love our neighborhood. We probably both love our county, our city, uh, whatever it is that we're coming to the table to talk about, mm-hmm. and the partisanship most of the time does not really get in the way of that. So it can be much more effective, and you can see the impacts um, right away.
0: Yeah. No, that, that's really nice, and and you alluded to a little bit of this, but I'm wondering if you could go into a little bit more detail about some of the responsibilities you have as county commissioner.
1: Well, um, to be honest with you, when I took office four and a half years ago, it was in a pre-COVID era, yeah. <laughs> and the responsibilities of a commissioner then, I would say, were well over fifty to fifty percent uh, land use issues. Right? Okay. We were. Um, that was the majority of of really what. Felt like in, in my stewardship territory was a lot of land use issues, especially in a rapidly growing area. Um, and as you're seeing the, the urbanization of, of former family ranches, right? That was a very heavy weight and a heavy percentage of the time that commissioners spent in, in dealing with those issues. I would say in a post-COVID era, it's it's incredibly broadened. Um, while I still had the responsibility um, in a pre-COVID era of, of serving on the, the Board of Health, and at one point the library board and all these other commissions and things that you'll see your county commissioners involved in, in a post-COVID era, those all kind of came more to the front than the land use issues. And so now we really just juggle it all. <laughs> None of the land use issues went away. But, uh, but your commissioners are much more at the forefront in, you know, in coordinating agency services and um, some of those from the state, some of them from federal budget um, was always a part of our job as county commissioners managing, um, you know, generally over $300 million budget on a regular year without any federal funds. And yeah. <laughs> then um, in an ARPA or a CARES Act year, we nearly doubled that um, with lots of strings attached on how those needed to be spent in our community. Right. So um, none of the responsibility really went away, but the scope of it really did change for a county commissioner. Um, and we suddenly needed to, um, to be aware of, of details and intricacies that really um, commissioners hadn't been involved with in the past. Uh, City county coordination became huge. Um, Of course, most of my district is in the uh, city of Colorado Springs. um, But coordination really with all seven municipalities in El Paso County became really, really big. How can we help these smaller municipalities get what they need, have the resources to make their policy decisions um, when everything is is kind of so, so tenuous?
0: Yeah. Yeah, you talked about a lot of interesting things there, and I want to get back to some of those in just a minute. Uh, but before we do, I wanted to mention that at the beginning of this year, you were actually selected as the chair of the Board of County Commissioners. Uh, what does that mean for you and what additional role does that play for you as a commissioner?
1: <laughs> um, well, first of all, I'm still just one of five commissioners, <laughs> yep. Um, yep. and all of us have an equal vote. You mm-hmm. know, unlike uh, some some city setups and other things, I am elected. I'm elected by my colleagues as a leader of this particular commission, this particular board. But we all have an equal vote, and we all represent um, different districts in our current setup. So the responsibilities. Um, I'm doing an awful lot of signing <laughs> papers right now. Um, I am reading all of what I sign. Okay, good, um, good. So there's some administrative additional deals to that. I also, you know, I, I strongly believe in, um, in leadership being, seeing what the right thing to do is, and not only doing it myself, but expecting others around me, um, imploring them to also kind of do do the next right thing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that might mean pointing out potentially a better solution or asking questions um, of something that maybe isn't quite there yet and imploring others to really search for the for the best solution. That's my style of leadership. I think, um, I think many people will tell you that for my first three years on the commission, they probably didn't know me very well. They felt like I was the quiet one. (laughs) Um, but, um, and certainly that was, I, I didn't speak up much from the dais, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) The name of your podcast is Beyond the Dias. <laughs> yep. um, we would come back here and I would have very, very engaging um, conversations um, about the, the issues in, a, in an in-depth and operational level and uh, trying to, to gather every bit of information I could and then using that to help other people around me make decisions and come to to a conclusion where we were all trying to make the best decision for our citizens for our region again on a very long-term basis. Right. So, what does uh what does the chairmanship mean to me? Um it hasn't really changed so far. Okay. Um <laughs> how I go about working with my colleagues, Mm -hmm. how I go about working with, um, with other leaders in the community. It probably certainly gives me a platform to speak up more easily to them, but, um, but I've always been the one that kind of would quietly point out things Mm -hmm. from, from, um, kind of lead from behind. So, there are some more duties and responsibilities, and you'll probably hear me speaking up a little more. but <laughs> I'm just honored that my colleagues um, that my colleagues had the trust in me to, to be the leader on some conversations and we'll figure it out.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would imagine a lot of it, and I think a lot of any job really, is you get into it and then you see, uh, you know, oh, this, this is what it is. Oh, this is how, maybe how things need to change. Maybe how things can improve or wow, this was actually really good a process that was uh, in, in place beforehand. Let me continue to move that along. Right. And uh, I think, you know, you kind of pointed to it, uh, you know, the name of this podcast, of course, is beyond the dais. And I think, especially with you being uh, the first commissioner uh, that is, is here on this podcast, most of that visibility for the commissioners is there on the dais during the board of county commissioner meetings, during land use meetings, and, and things like that. And so I, you know, I always think it's really important to hear about what goes on after you guys walk off that stage, right? What goes on in those in those meetings, uh, in in informal sessions, exe- in executive sessions? What goes on when you're out in the community, you know, and all of that stuff? Because I, I think it's really easy as a resident and someone who generally pays attention to what's going on uh, locally in politics to think, oh, our commissioners are up there, they're making decisions, maybe I agree with them, maybe I don't, but that's kind of what I see and that's all I know. When in reality, I think <laughs> I think you would be the first to say it is far more than that.
1: Sure, you know, um, fundamentally I'm an information gatherer, mm-hmm. and so I'm always in that mode, whether, um, and to some degree um, – <laughs> Less so when I'm actually <laughs> on the <laughs> dais, right? I mm-hmm. mean, I'm hearing the reports, but I've probably already read them. I've gathered all that information. Mm-hmm. But if I'm out on a trail walk, I'm taking in information about who else is on the trails, how they're being used, and I'm kind of aggregating that in my mind um, to, you know, how does that correlate with how we're funding mm-hmm. um, trail, everything from, from trail cleanup to to outdoor opportunities, you know, information gathering doesn't just happen on on the dais. Yep. Um, yep. We're constantly learning, constantly growing, and um, the conversations that I have with an upset citizen in the evening at a town hall meeting um, is just as informative as the formal reports that we get from from our staff members. Mm-hmm. The conversations that I'm having with someone who's having trouble getting. Um, getting something they need from one of our office agencies it's important for me to understand how the system is actually working for our citizens and at the end of the day I'm a steward of that process and if I'm not um, well aware of what all is going on then I can't do my best to have have a solution that being right. said I absolutely depend on on our citizens to tell us about their experiences. Um, their inter- What are their interactions? Um, you know, they may not pay attention to our county commission meetings, but they probably have to go renew their car registration at our DMV at a certain point mm-hmm. or register to vote. Um, so I love to understand uh, their interaction points um, and understand how I can make that be a positive experience for them. And Let them be as involved or uninvolved as they would like to be, but make it a smooth and positive experience either way.
0: Right. And so I think this is a good time to talk about this too. So as demographics change in not just your district, all over, you know, demographics I feel are constantly changing in in a number of different uh, locations, not just here in El Paso County, not just here in Colorado, but all over the country. Uh, How do you adapt to the needs of those citizens of of your community as those demographics change?
1: You know, it goes back to listening and yeah. having those conversations. Being approachable, um, being in the places where uh, where our citizens are, um, and sometimes where they don't expect um, an elected official to show up. Right. I'm I'm kind of famous for not wearing my name tag out, and, right. um, and maybe showing up in a ball cap and uh, on a Saturday afternoon and being a bit incognito, mm-hmm. because I'm a I'm a citizen here too, right. but I want to also. Um, I want our citizens to know that the commissioners are approachable and that we're literally right there side by side with them oftentimes too. I think that um, that dealing with uh, changing, changing demographics, changing needs, mm-hmm. um, changing culture in general, um, it has to be approached with respect, first of all. And that's, um, you know, if I had... If, if I could name anything that I hope I'm known for when I'm long after I'm not in this role anymore, um, I hope it's for always treating people as people yeah. um, and respecting differing opinions. And um, by being out there in the community and keeping my pulse on, on what's important, um, and that can change at any moment, right? Sure, sure. Um, keeping my finger on the pulse of that, I can um, I can do my best to... Pivot and come alongside, and um, just be approachable uh,
0: yeah.
1: through the changes.
0: Yeah, no, that's really nice. Um, so you did just start your second term as county commissioner at the beginning of this year for District Five. Uh, can you talk about some of the accomplishments you're proud of from your first term, as well as some things you'd like to see done in your second term?
1: <laughs> sure. Um, you know, I kind of alluded earlier in this podcast that um, that. When I was first elected, it was a very different world mm-hmm, than yep. it is now. And yet some things do kind of fundamentally the responsibilities uh, do fundamentally stay the same. but um, I would say i'm I'm incredibly proud of how this community responded to to something that was really unknown in in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. None of us knew what was coming next or how to deal with it. I'm very proud of the fact that, Honestly, your county government never stopped working for you.
0: Right.
1: We did our best to uh, to remain open and accessible, and to help um, to help our citizens and our businesses and our tourism spots all be able to do the same. And so. A little bit of that came down to how we decided to to allocate money. We had, in addition to many of the CARES and ARPA funds that you'll hear about from the federal government, locally, we we sent almost twenty five million dollars in funds to regional businesses, mm-hmm. um, just to get through and just to recover and just to be able to keep serving the coffee and <laughs> um, and uh, serving our community at the end of the day and serving our community in a way that kept jobs open and so I'm pretty proud of of the things that we put in place um, in order for them to be able to do that. And that ultimately came down to respecting their ability to make their own business decisions. So I'm pretty pretty excited that we were able to keep our economy open and healthy and um, everything from ensuring that we went through a pretty onerous process to to keep some tourist attractions open. But um, that allowed people the opportunity to uh, to To continue to thrive and to come out of this on on the other side. Um, I'm happy with with our focus on um, on how we've dealt with a housing crisis and ensured that we could utilize the county's ability to provide private activity bonds to ensure that that units could just get on the market quicker. Um, And some of these are affordable units and some of them are regular market rate units, but the county has a unique ability to facilitate ensuring that um, that people have an affordable place to live. I'm super proud that we have, um, we've added a little over $60 million in transportation funding alone. since uh, since I was first elected. Mm -hmm. Um, That's significant. And the irony is it doesn't impact my district, District 5, (laughs) that is mostly in the city of Colorado Springs, but it certainly impacts the other 700,000 residents that don't live in my district Mm -hmm. um, and, and those of those who do live in mine and maybe commute out to Shreve or commute up to Denver. Even Mm -hmm. Um, we were in, in this last four years, the uh, the final bit of funding um, to complete the I-25 widening that happened as well. So a lot of infrastructure um, and funding opportunities and, and I'm very, Um, very proud of that. You know, we also opened a joint office of emergency management with the city of Colorado Springs, really became a a regional partnership um, that, that I think puts us in a position to really be ready for, God forbid, the next, the next emergency. But we all know that, um, that wildfires and floods and mudslides don't, uh, they're not aware of our jurisdictional lines (laughs) so the fact that it doesn't matter what jurisdiction or what district um, any of those things occur in it will be a coordinated response with all hands on deck a well-done plan where everybody knows their role and their job um, you know all the way from first you know first indication or warning of the incident all the way through recovery Mm -hmm. and and billing back to fema and getting getting those funds that our community deserves back here Um, it's a really well thought through program i am super proud of that and then you know we've we've worked hard uh to improve relationships with all of our military installations lots of conversations about recruiting space force here um, Mm -hmm. You know that one's not a done deal yet, okay. <laughs> right. um, but uh, but certainly, that has required the community um, to really come together um, and work closely with our military partners, with our business partners, with our state partners, and our federal partners to really communicate the message about why that is a good thing for our region um, and why that um, that huge. National concern um, might be best located here, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm proud of the impact we've had on that and moving that conversation along. Your commissioners have been right at the center of that from right. the beginning, <laughs> and then you know we've also gotten pretty active in in speaking up for for counties in the state legislature. Oftentimes, we'll we'll go through a legislative session heading into the fifth one I've been present for now, and. There will be, regardless of of which party is in power, there will be a lot of legislation that says, hey, counties should do things this way and cities should do things this way. That really, um, to be able to speak up and and quantify what our local impacts would be and advocate one way or another for what is going to be good for our residents um, has been a very empowering thing and I think effective thing. You know, you win some, you lose some, but I cannot remember, um, you know, I started off this podcast saying uh, 20 years ago, I sat as a young 20 something in the commissioner meetings. And I can tell you that at that time, they weren't um, involved in or aware of um, the impacts that state legislation would or could have on county residents and so therefore we weren't advocating um, i would say we've come a really long way in that department in the last three or four years you know i spoke about all that we did to help businesses during covid but you know even post covid i hope that we've put some long-term tools in place for businesses to continue to thrive here one of those was approval of the CPACE program which essentially allows um, people who want to rehab or refurbish or update um, an older commercial building with, um, with more energy-efficient lights, it, it, it allows them to apply for low-interest financing. And so the way that program is set up, you know, you, you could say what – what does what interest does the county have in 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 whether a private business can do that? Um, and the answer is the it's actually a state program. And until El Paso County Commissioners said yes, uh, building owners in in our region can apply for these funds. We were just getting left out of them. Mm-hmm. And so it's a it's a state program that doesn't cost El Paso County any money. But that was just another way we could offer a tool to to local businesses to to make improvements if they wanted to, right? It wasn't. Um, it's an opt-in program. It's a, it's something that they can do. But you know, looking for opportunities like that where we could um, where we could really just open up opportunities for our citizens to make their own decisions. Mm-hmm. I would say that's kind of an overarching theme. Of of the first four years, and we didn't know how big of a play that would be during a COVID time period. But but really, just empowering our citizens to make their own position, uh, their own decisions, and and making sure they have the tools that they can do that. Whether they're a business, um, a big business, a small business, a stay at home mom, um, empowering our citizens to to do that and and know that we as the county commissioners sitting here cheering for them um, and and doing everything we can to ensure that quality of life that that has them right here in El Paso County too.
0: Mm -hmm. So you mentioned during that, one of the accomplishments is that regional office of emergency management responding to crisis situations obviously is extreme importance. And since you've been in office, there have been multiple things that you've had to to, um, be here for the COVID pandemic, of course. But even most recently, the Club Q shooting. Of course, it's not always great to talk about, but I think it's important for people to know, you know, how do you help the community rebound from events like that?
1: You know, I think um, steady leadership with a focus on, I've mentioned it before in this podcast, respect. Mm -hmm. Um, Respect for for all people and what brings them to our community. Um, Approaching... Every other person, as, as another human being, will always be uh, the way I choose to lead. As policymakers, we also have to keep a very clear focus on on what we can impact and control. Mm-hmm. And really, as, as government leaders, what we should. Um, and so I always think it's helpful to have that clear focus of, of what's in our realm, to impact, uh, generally, we'll have some kind of a budgeting decision or another that we can make out of a um, out of a crisis um, and and communicate the priorities. I started to say our priorities, but the the irony is it's not it's not the five commissioners um, up here. It's it's the priorities that our community have told us are important to them, and so. Ensuring that, that those priorities are all the way through everything we choose to do or not do on their behalf, mm-hmm. um, and again, out of ultimately out of respect um, that we do have have a diverse um, population and one that I'm elected to serve wholly.
0: Mm-hmm. So another part of your role as County Commissioner, and you talked about this a little bit before when we were talking about ARPA and budgeting, and you're actually the ARPA liaison for the Community Impact Grants. Why in your mind were these grants specifically important to help the community recover from the COVID pandemic? Uh, you know, you, you have spoken about the regional business and, you know, those those type of grants, but these are for different things. Can you talk about what they're for and why they're important?
1: Sure. We gave over $9 million um, in funding to local nonprofits that really were the philosophy behind it is the the government can't um, and shouldn't do all and be all. But we saw so many needs in our community, everything from from youth having having missed community in in sports or in in clubs or the ability to gather um, to degrading mental health. to access um to um to resources so as commissioners we said you know i mean we're stewards Uh, whether whether the money is from our original local taxpayer-based budget or it's from federal funds that we suddenly received we're stewards to ensure that every dollar of that is spent in a way that can have the longest term impact for our citizens. And as we looked at what the pandemic had done and and the requirements of of both CARES Act funding and then ARPA funding, you know, where can we have the biggest impact and what what pieces of, of our population, of our community took the biggest hit? Um, and how can we ensure that those funds are set up for long-term success? We chose to then um, we selected the nonprofits that would that we thought were making a good, solid, and long-term and stable impact on that. And it was it was a competitive grant process. I'm pretty uh, pretty excited about how we navigated fairly and judiciously. Getting getting this money out as quickly as we could to those most impacted, without it necessarily being a straight up handout. Mm-hmm. Um, we have we have a clear kind of performance parameters, um, and yet at the same time we want to see creativity. We want to see the organizations that are trying and doing something different, because what we all just went through was really new and different. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Um, And it's going to take the whole community kind of attacking it from a different point. And that that was the part of the design behind that pretty diverse group of nonprofits that got that section of ARPA funding.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that's been really nice about doing this podcast is I've had the opportunity to speak with a number of these recipients at this point. And to what you said, them being creative with how they're using the money Uh, whether it's creating new programs, uh, bolstering existing programs, offering different services, uh, helping a a diverse group of people. I think a lot of the times when people think of nonprofits, they think the people that are benefiting most are uh, low-income individuals, uh, homeless individuals, uh, those who may not have ready access to specific resources. But in speaking with a lot of them, I've learned, you know, that's not always the case. I mean, especially... During the pandemic, and you know, if you think now where inflation is, where it, where it is, and even people who are making a, a fair living wage can run into difficulties and and need to say visit a care and share food bank or receive services from NAMI or other organizations like that. Um, it's just been really eye opening to see in this community in El Paso County the number of organizations that are out there to help its citizens and, and to and to help people who need the help. And they're not saying, you know, here here's a handout, go and good luck. I mean, they're offering, you know, support. And that's one of those things, and I think you I think you had mentioned it before, that during the pandemic, support was one of the things that was really hard to come by. You know, when we are kind of sheltered in place and when we are secluded to a degree, those are the things that I think a lot of people missed out on. And so again, you know, just me being in the position that I am, I have the benefit of being able to go out into the community and to see all these changes that are happening because of this ARPA funding and you know there are a number of other uh, funding resources that have come from El Paso County that again you've mentioned helps uh, local businesses or even uh, water projects that you know were uh, needed and are forthcoming so it's just it's just a really fascinating to see that and to know and i think this goes back to the very beginning where you were talking about how local politics can have such an impact on the community around them and maybe you can reiterate just a little bit about why it is so important for people to be in tune with what's going on in local government.
1: You know, one uh, one of the things that um, I, I don't think any of us would want to experience or go through what we did in 2020 and 2021 again in COVID, but one of the positive things that came out of it was that, that people really did uh, – did come out. They they shared their, their struggles. They shared their concerns. They shared their differences of opinion about how we could and should and shouldn't handle policy decisions. We heard an awful lot from our citizens at that time, and I think um, while it was trying, and I'm I'm a people pleaser, and I <laughs> learned really quickly um, that I can't please everybody. Right. But I learned so much from everybody. You know, we really depend on as policymakers. We depend on our citizens to to point out ways that we can make their life better. And I think that's partly what I'm here for. Mm-hmm. And um, every decision. We make on the dais it has the opportunity to either make someone's life better easier or harder Mm -hmm. and if I'm approaching every decision like that and with um with concern for all of our citizens then I think I think it can be a win-win
0: very good. And is there anything else that you want to add? We've certainly talked about quite a bit today, but is there anything that you feel uh, that we've left off that you'd like to make sure is mentioned?
1: You know, county government and what we're responsible for has changed tremendously. Um, even in the few short years I've been here, but certainly in the last 20 to 30 years, you know, this used to be a, a rural county um, and We're more and more uh, suburbanized and and urbanized in places. And the way the county government is set up is that presents an interesting quandary, right? We're suddenly dealing with uh, very suburban and urban development within our jurisdiction. And so, you know, you've got everything from from water issues to food supply to... um, Transportation and infrastructure needing to look very different than potentially graveling the roads between ranches, mm-hmm. and so the county has had to realize how much our roles and responsibilities have changed as well. And I think it's it's incumbent upon the those of us who are currently honored to uh, be stewards of that as your elected officials right now to pay attention to the the changing needs of our community and of our citizens and realizing too, that, you know, the state statute that has always pretty clearly told a county what we could and couldn't do. Suddenly, even that is just changing by the minute. And I think it takes leaders that, that are constantly able to kind of move and flow and block and tackle for local citizens with that changing Mm -hmm. dynamic.
0: Well, thank you, Commissioner Bremer. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time today and, and spending this time uh, talking about all this stuff. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks. If you're interested in listening to additional episodes of Beyond the Dais, you can search for us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.